Um, wanted to mention uh, before I dig into the message that tonight's the Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper is something that Jesus commanded us to do. He he commanded us as those who have decided to follow Christ. It's for those who've already committed themselves to follow Christ. But he wants us to set time aside to remember his death on our behalf to pay the price for our sin. And so uh, that's what we do tonight uh, at the Lord's Supper. We remember and we're told, we're instructed in uh, 1 Corinthians in the scripture that we are to examine ourselves. And so we're to think through our relationship with God to see if there's anything we need to straighten out with him and our relationship with other people to see if there's any reconciliation that needs to be made or possibly restitution. So that's what we do tonight. We will come together, we'll sing some worship songs, and then we'll take some time just to think through uh, our relationship with God, our relationship to other people, and get things straightened out to confess and to get things uh, clear with God and with people. That's tonight at 6 o'clock. I'd like to invite you to be a part of that. We're wrapping up a message series today that I've called Paradox, and a paradox is a statement or proposition that seems self-contradictory or absurd, but in reality expresses a a possible truth. Many times following Christ feels like a paradox. (laughs) When you read what the Bible says, you read the statements that Jesus made, and you begin to sort of sort out how God works and what he does, it can feel so opposite. That's the other meaning of paradox. A tenet contrary to received opinion. Many times, the, the passages in Scripture and the statements Jesus made are so opposite to our natural way of thinking, to the way that the world at large tends to think, that it seems so paradoxical. But really, they, they, the statements that Jesus made line up with the way life works. It lines up more with reality than our own way of thinking. And so today we're going to look at how there is profit in loss. And uh, before, I want to, before I get into Jesus' statement of that, um, I want to look at the backstory, the, the, what was going on right before he made this statement. Because it, it sets up what he said and why he said it, and it helps us get an understanding more of what, what he was actually trying to say. So here's the backstory. Matthew 16, 13 through 18. Uh, Jesus has 12 men that he's called to follow him, that he wants to train uh, in how to, to, live men, to, to live life and to do ministry. And these guys are traveling with him. And they're traveling along, and he gets to Caesarea Philippi. And it says when he came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do they say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, uh, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, But by my Father in heaven, and I tell you that you are Peter, he changed his name, and on this rock, uh, Peter means um, like a stone, a pebble, a small rock, the word rock, and on this rock, which refers to his confession, the statement that he made, on this statement of faith, rock is like a mountainside boulder, 
You know, that's the word rock in the Greek that this was originally written in is just like this huge boulder. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. It, it is not going to die. This, this group of people that decide to follow me, that keeps trying to do what I want done in the world, it is never going to die. It is going to just keep growing. The kingdom of God is going to keep expanding. Now, it's interesting to me that God chooses to reveal this truth, this fact of Jesus' identity to a Galilean fisherman. He, he didn't go to one of the social elite of the society or one of the intellectual elite, but he revealed this truth to a Galilean fisherman. I don't know if you've ever seen Deadliest Catch on cable, but those fishermen are crusty, rough people. Okay, they're, they're kind of crusty. They're a little rough. And so God decides to reveal this truth to Peter, who was a fisherman up until a couple of years ago. And um, in this series, we learned this is God's way. This is what God does. He, he uses insignificant things in people to do significant things. He uses the weak, and he makes them strong. Because as he does this, he is glorified. And that's what he's doing here. We see it happening again. So Peter gets it really right when he makes this statement. Wow, he hits the nail on the head. He's exactly right about who Jesus is. Gets it really right. And then the the verses that follow this say, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Whoa, got it really wrong. Okay, he goes, he makes the most amazing statement to that point in history. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He goes from the heights of revelation to the depths here. And that's, that's how we are. And yeah, I mean, we're up and down. We're all over the place. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So Peter went from getting it really right to getting it really wrong. This is a gross misunderstanding that he had of how Jesus was going to bring in his kingdom. And that's the backstory to this statement that Jesus made. Since Peter didn't understand this, he, he makes this statement. Jesus gives a detailed description of what it means to follow him. And this is typical of Jesus. There's a book called The Tipping Point. Uh, it's a business book written by Malcolm Gladwell. And, and he describes, he studied in this book, the factors that, that are in place when an idea or a trend or a social behavior crosses a, a threshold, tips, and then begins to spread like wildfire. That's the tipping point, when something's about to spread like wildfire through, through the, uh, the society here. Whenever Jesus would get to the point where it was about to tip, he would have crowds just crowds of people beginning to follow him. 
he would make a statement just like this because he wanted to be clear on what it was like if you decide to follow him. And this is what he said. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If you're willing, if you would come after me, it's, it's a deliberate choice that we make to follow Christ. It's, it's something that we need to consider. And so Jesus never said, yeah, make, make up what you think it is. Just come along with me. I just want to build this Jesus movement and have as many people as possible. He always wanted people to really think through what it meant to decide to follow him. And he lays it out here for us. He tells us what to expect if we decide to follow him. So if you're investigating what it means to follow Christ, investigating Christianity, today you're going to get a, a, clearer, a, more, a clear picture, a clearer picture of what it means to follow him and, and why that is. And it, it feels very paradoxical, but, but we're going to see the reality of what it means to follow Christ. So here's what he says. He says, deny himself. That person must deny himself, whoever wants to follow me. We need to say no to ourselves and yes to what Jesus wants. And the word deny, when it says deny himself, it's a compounded word. It was written in Greek originally, or it may have been Aramaic. I didn't check, but it's a compounded word. And what it means is you have to keep doing that over and over and over again. You have to keep denying yourself over and over again. And that's what it's like when you decide to follow Christ. You say yes to him, I will follow. One big redirect. You're going your own way, living life independent of God and Jesus, and you decide to go his way. You turn around, you decide to go his way. And after the one big giant commitment, you have to keep saying yes every day. That's what it's like. And in his teaching, Jesus clearly lays out the collisions that are going to take place between our normal way of doing things and his way of doing things. In friendships and family relationships, some of us have the habit of blowing up in anger. Or maybe we have the habit of passively wanting to sweep all the offenses that we've committed against others under the carpet and pretend like they're not there and hopefully nobody will notice and they'll go away and they won't cause any problems. But Jesus says, you don't blow up in anger if you do get that straightened out. If, and you don't sweep offenses under the table, but you, you aggressively seek peace and work things out with people. That's one of the things we're doing in the Lord's Supper tonight. But that's what he says. That's, that's different. You know, I just want to let people have it and move on. Or I just, I just want to ignore the, the wrong I've done, sweep it under the carpet. But Jesus says, no. If you're at worship and you remember that you've offended your brother or sister, you go get it straightened out with them. And then you come back to worship. There's a high priority on getting things straightened out with people around you. With our finances, we want to stockpile stuff. You know, We want to stockpile our money and things. We want to use our money. We want to use all of it to buy the stuff we want. And here Jesus comes along and he says, give. Give. Be generous. In fact, if somebody asks you to help them and they want you to carry their stuff one mile, take it two. Go the, go the extra mile. Go beyond expectations. Set your heart to serve over and above and beyond. Set yourself to give. And he says, give 
and it will be given to you. It will, it will, it will pour over. As you give, you will find his blessing in that giving, and it will be given to you right back. It's the way God works. It's the, it's the cycle that he kicks in. In decisions, to- totally normal and natural to put my own comfort and convenience uh, first as I'm considering a decision like what job I want to do, where I'm going to live, um, how I'm going to handle certain things. As I'm making choices and decisions, my comfort and convenience makes perfect sense for that to be number one. Jesus says, put my kingdom first, and then all the necessities. I'm going to take care of your needs if you put my kingdom first. Backwards, opposite, paradoxical. But that's what it means to keep denying yourself. We compounded word we keep doing it every day we have to keep saying no to ourselves and then yes to what he's done that's what it means to follow christ and as you do that life bubbles up it really is the way to find life in christ he says take up your cross it's another thing we do bear the troubles and difficulty of following christ in the roman empire convicted criminal who ascends to crucifixion, would carry the horizontal beam of the cross through the public streets. And the, the vertical beam of the cross was already set in place, and they would start uh, from one location. They would carry the horizontal beam through the streets, and it was a statement that they were now in submission to the government that they had rebelled against. And so when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, what he means is that you you take up the difficulties and the troubles of following Christ in a public way, and it's a statement that I'm now in submission to the one that I formerly had rebelled against. I'd been going my own way. God made me. He created me. But I'd been living life independent of him. And now I'm going his way, and we take up our cross to do that. Um, let's face it, following Christ adds a certain amount of stress and difficulty to life. Um, we're constantly wrestling with our native reflex. When you first come to Christ, you're sort of floating along. Life's good. Man, this is amazing. You're starting to learn things that you never learned. You're starting to see how life fits together. And then the honeymoon's over, and you begin to wrestle with your native reflexes. You face decisions where, oh, I'd really just like to do what I want, but I know what Jesus wants. I know what God wants. Oh, and you just, you wrestle and you, you, you fight against what's going on inside. There's this conflict, not only inside of you, but between what Jesus wants and what you want, but also between what is popular and what is important to Jesus. So we're constantly faced with this. In, in friendships and work relationships, we find ourselves in spots where popular advice and opinion flows the other way from what Jesus would say or what Jesus would want or how he would approach something. And the media, through movies and TVs and TV and music and print and the Internet, provides a powerful mix that gives a head start to the ideas that flow the opposite of Jesus' way. They counter what he would say and what he would want. Um, I'd like to show you a clip. What we're to do is 
with gentleness and respect in a tactful way, when we find ourselves in those spots, we're to identify with Christ. Peter says later on, yeah, we're, we're, to, we're to explain our faith and defend it with gentleness and respect. So we don't want to bring a cross on ourselves by being obnoxious. But in the right way, we want, we want to identify with him. And that's, that's a part of carrying our cross. I'd like to show you a clip. Uh, Joe Barry, one of our members uh, who leads our Life Life Media team, who acted like a comedian in the uh, Sometimes It's Funny video, uh, had his first comedy routine in Hollywood uh, about a month ago, right before Christmas. And I'd like to show you a clip of his opening gig. But what was happening is, this is a venue where there are about 15 comedians. He was number seven or eight. And so we had the, I'm not quite sure, we had the interesting experience of listening to the first seven or eight people. <laughs> and so we're in a bar. This is the saying, we're in a bar, we're watching Joel. Joel beforehand, I, I happened to get there early enough that Joel, you know, hey, I'm kind of nervous about this. So he, he explained to me what his first gig was, the first part of his gig thing was going to be, and whatever you call it, routine. Thank you. And uh, so I prayed with him, prayed, you know, I never prayed with anybody before a comedy routine. It was interesting. So I prayed with him. And <clears throat> so the, the first few people get up, and his first statements were going to be about Merry Christmas how we need to be committed. And a couple people talked about the need to say happy holidays because we don't want to offend anybody. And a couple of the comedians put down Christianity. And I thought, well, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> uh, we'll see what Joel does with this. Here's what he did. Well, it's good to be here. Merry Christmas, everybody. I hope the season's going well. And I know it's kind of politically incorrect to wish people a Merry Christmas, but I'm, I'm not saying, like, I hope you die on Christmas, or I hope Christmas is going to be the worst day of your life, or, or I hope when you wake up on Christmas that your bed is gone. It's just, you know, Merry Christmas. Like, if it's going to be a Hanukkah or a Happy Hanukkah or a Happy Kwanzaa, I'm going to take it, because it kind of shows commitment. Like, the Happy Holidays thing, I do get a little confused by it, because it's like... Which holiday? Which holiday is it? Show me some commitment. I think, ladies, you can appreciate a guy on stage kind of trying to lobby for commitment, right? I don't know which one it is, so just commit to it. Even if you wish me like a happy Mother's Day, I'll take it. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but I'll take it because there's commitment behind it. (laughs) So, (laughs) So that is a very comedic way. Uh, making sense of something that's important in following Christ. Commitment is very important. We're going to talk about it more next week as we talk about membership and all that that means, being a member of the body of Christ, being committed. But uh, I thought Joel did a great job of that. But we find ourselves in spots where the flow is going the other direction. And how are we going to handle this? We're, we're told to handle it with tact, gentleness and reverence, but with courage, To take up our cross. That's what Jesus is saying. He says that we take up the cross and we follow him. If we follow him, we should expect the same things that he faced. When when Peter tried to stop the crucifixion, he was thinking like a natural man. He's thinking man thoughts. That's what Jesus said. Our natural mind does not have the spiritual thoughts and reflexes that we need to to follow Christ. Peter was rebuked uh, because he listened to Satan's voice 
and Satan's strategy. No, you'll never die, Lord. But that was a part of the plan. And so he was rebuked for that. The lesson is never seek to escape the cross, but surrender to God's will and purpose in it. Jesus makes it clear that this is what it means to follow him. And I, I want to talk about this because if you're considering following Christ or if you're following Christ and you're frustrated and struggling in it, you need to understand this. If I follow him so that he can help me accomplish my dream or the American dream or so that he can help me fulfill my plans, you're going to be very disappointed because that is not what it means to follow Christ. I must give up everything to follow him. And when I do, he brings life together from the inside out. That's what Jesus is saying. This is what it takes. You have to lay aside. You have to deny yourself. You have to take up the cross and follow me. And I will take you where I've made you to go. I will take you to accomplish what I want you to accomplish. Jesus continues, and he gives us a very good reason to follow him. It's important for us to recognize and then remember the value of following Christ. Verse 25 and 26, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good would it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus goes to the heart of the matter, and he says, there is no life for my soul apart from God. It's this kind of commitment that it takes to connect with God through Christ. It's a very bad bargain to trade your soul for the world. You, you come up very empty. You're a complete loser in that trade. You, you, when you balance the account at the end, you will find that you have not gained, but you've lost it all because Jesus is everything. When you try to save your life as a trade-off for what you know you should do, when you and I do this, you lose it. When you trade your life for following him, you try to hold on to it. In, in gambling terms, to follow Christ, you have to put everything on the table. You have to go all in. And then let him give it back. Nothing should be more important than him. You, you go all in. If you don't go all in in following Christ, if you decide to hold back some, you don't experience the full reward. You don't experience what it, God intends as you follow Christ. When we know what to do that's right, a sacrifice that needs to be made or the right thing that needs to be done, and we shrink back, we lose life. Life gets empty. It's hollow. It gets hollowed out because we don't experience what God intends. And re coming to worship, coming to church, to a church service like this, praying, reading the Bible, it, it empties out. It's empty religion. If you don't, at the core, have this commitment in place that Jesus is everything and I'm going to do what he's told me to do, nothing is worth more than your soul. Nothing at all. That's what Jesus is saying. 
Jim Elliott was a missionary who went to another part of the world to extend the kingdom, share Christ with people there. When he showed up, the people that he went to uh, share Christ with murdered him. That was the first thing that happened. They murdered him. In his journal, there's a quote that's very famous. We, 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 many, many believers have thought about this, and it's, it lines up with what Jesus is saying. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We can't hold on to this life in this world. It's very transient. It's very temporary. And we can give it up and experience all that God intends as we set out to follow Christ. Jesus said in another place, and what he's trying to do here is help people count the cost. And we have to count the cost. In Luke 14, he said, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, The fellow began to build and he was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still on the, uh, a long way off and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. This is the cost of following Christ. You give up everything you have. You lay it at his feet. You put it on the table. You, you say, here it is, God. I want to follow you and you are worth everything. Jesus makes these statements in Luke 14 to help us. If you're floundering in your faith, you may, try, you may be trying to build on a faulty foundation. And he says this so that we can go back and shore up the foundation of our faith. Jesus made the statements that we're looking at this morning so the disciples would know, so that we would know. His followers later on, those who were looking into following him as well, he wanted us to know what it takes to follow him and the kind of foundation it requires so that our faith would be strong, so that we would experience what he wants. If there is something that you are holding on to that you're not giving back to him, that you're not allowing him to have, Christianity will be empty religion to you. So if that's what you're experiencing, consider this. If it seems empty to you, consider this. There may be something that you're holding on to. Is there anything you're holding back from him? Is there anything that you didn't put on the table when you decided to follow him? Or is there something you put on the table and you've taken it back? Is there something you're holding on to? Then Christianity is an empty religion to you. We tend to cushion ourselves from the hardship of following Christ by not even considering that Jesus would want us to give him everything. But he does. It's what he asks. It's what he's saying in this passage. Philippians 3 is a, a passage where Paul makes this statement, another follower of Christ. But whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. The word consider means he added things up at a point in the past, and he now lives this way. He now lives with this new mindset, this new way of thinking. He doesn't keep making the same decision to follow Christ over and over again or wondering, well, is it worth it or not? He keeps, he keeps doing life 
with this in mind. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, trash, that I may gain Christ. When he says, I want to know Christ, he goes on and he talks about knowing Christ. And here he talks about the value of knowing Christ and gaining Christ. In verse 10 he says, I want to know him. The word know means to know by experience. And Jesus made it very clear how we do that, how we get to know Jesus better. You, you have the faith to obey when you reach those collisions between his way and my way. Whenever you hit that intersection and there's a collision between what Jesus would want you to do or say and what you yourself would want to do or say, you go his way. You have that. that requires faith. Because this seems so paradoxical. There's profit in losing and giving up my life. And as you give up your life, you find Jesus to be true. You, you experience that he actually is who he said he is. That's how you get to know him. Paul had done an accounting and found Jesus to be worth far more than anything else. In wrapping up the lesson, Jesus gives us motivation to keep following. In verse 27, 28, For the Son of Man is going to come in, in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So Jesus points to two things that should motivate us. First one, our future reward. He talks about the day, the second coming, when he comes back, he wraps up history, and he brings all of his people into eternity with him. That's going to be an amazing day. At that day, there will be a judgment. He will reward or not his people for their their choices. We live today with that day in mind. That's what Jesus is saying. That day should motivate us to live and deny ourselves. This is a little motivation for denying yourself. Keeping the future in mind that God intends for us. We say no to ourselves right now. And then he talks about the opportunity in the present. He says, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And what he's referring to is, there's a point uh, after Jesus' death and resurrection when the kingdom, when the church began to expand rapidly. And, And the Holy Spirit came on the people and the church began to grow and the kingdom began to expand uh, rapidly. And another thing that should motivate us to deny ourselves and to get after what Jesus asked us to do is the opportunity to be a part of God's larger purpose in the world. It's not just about me and my stuff. Our lives are too short for it to be about me and my stuff. we, We are a part of God's story. We, we only have 70, 80, 90, maybe, maybe less years to live. Our lives are too short for the story to be about us. It's about what God's doing from generation to generation to generation. And as you set yourself to follow Christ, you have the opportunity to be a part of what he's doing in the world. That's the motivation for denying ourselves taking up the cross, and following him. 
So in all of this, Jesus has given us a test question. It's a good thing to ask ourselves uh, as we begin this year. Is there anything I'm not willing to lose in order to follow Christ? If you're investigating what it means to follow him, uh, if there's something that you're not willing to give up, that you're going to hold on to, then keep checking him out. Because what is at stake is huge. The power and the blessing that you see, if, if you're just checking out Christianity, you've been around genuine believers, genuine followers of Christ, you, you probably have been attracted by the, the blessing and uh, the, the, the power that genuine followers have. Um, let that motivate you to keep looking into what it means to follow Christ. We're part of something that's bigger than ourselves. If you are a follower and you've taken something back from him, after you've decided to follow him, let it go. And taste the joy of following him again. We're going to wrap up the message. We'll be receiving our offering in a few moments. And I'd like to give you some suggestions for next steps you could take uh, as a result of the message this morning. Uh, first of all, my next step is to memorize Matthew 16:24. Uh, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Uh, that could be a step, just to memorize, to remind yourself what what is it that's involved in following Christ. Second, set aside some time alone this week to count the cost of following him, to consider it, to recognize the value and to remember what it means to follow him. And then finally, for the first time, I am deciding to follow Christ. You, you may be ready. You've been considering it. You, you may have been convinced of who Jesus is, and you're ready to make that commitment. Uh, let us know. That would be a great way to let us know that you're ready. We'd love to pray with you and get you any help you'd want in following him. Uh, let's pray before we continue as the band comes up. Father, we thank you for the truth we see. Jesus, we thank you for telling us straight what it means to follow you because going halfway does not... Uh, bring the life that you intend. So help us, God, to, to give everything to you, to renounce it all so that we can follow you and let you lead us from that perspective. Help us, Father, to have the power to do what you've laid on our heart to do this morning as we've looked into your word. And I ask for this help in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. you right now to uh, just take some time to reflect on what, what you've just heard, um, whether that's counting the cost or just asking God to show you anything that's hindering you from following him, and uh, now's the time to do that as we receive our offering.
is not her. 